0: "'A little while, and you will see me no longer, "'and again a little while, and you will see me.'" So some of his disciples said to one another, "'What is this that he says to us, "'A little while, and you will not see me, "'and again a little while, and you will see me, "'and because I am going to the Father?' So they were saying, "'What does he mean by a little while? "'We do not know what he is talking about.'" Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, "'Is this what you are asking yourselves, "'what I meant by saying a little while, "'and you will not see me?' And no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full.
1: Thank you, Danny. I'd like to introduce our guest speaker this morning. If you were with us last week, you'll remember Dennis Newkirk. Um, Dennis Newkirk served faithfully in Oklahoma for the past 25 years as a local pastor in Oklahoma. He has over around 40 years of pastoral ministry. Um, he is uh, pseudo-retired. He has a ministry to local pastors to encourage and equip them um, for their work as pastors. Sometimes pastors need pastoring. Um, so I'd like to invite you up, Dennis. Dennis, we're so glad to have you here this morning. I could just blame you. Do you have it? I'm showing green. Hello? You're on. I am. <laughs> huh. It feels like I'm on. I didn't know. <laughs> good to see you all. Uh, the Henderson Hills folks, is it just you in the service, John Mark, or? Oh, the boys. Good to, good to see you all. It's great to have you. Have you been here before, to Arizona? No. Have you guys been to Arizona before? <clears throat> well, uh, you know, a lot of people in Oklahoma think of Arizona as like the Sahara Desert, and uh, you know, when when they come here and see all the green and the cactus, it's like a revelation. And uh, I, I, I wish I had time to show you the the flora and the fauna. Uh, that, it would be a lot of fun. But we're headed out this afternoon for Solvang to uh, lead a pastor's conference there, and uh, pray for us as we try to minister to California pastors. And Lord knows they need <laughs> uh, When uh, Chuck asked me to, to preach, I don't know, I think it was October or November, we had no idea that the Henderson Hills folks were going to be here. And uh, so Chuck on Friday said, uh, gosh, will this be awkward for you? we should have thought about this. We should have talked about it. I said, no, that they really do need some good preaching for change. (laughs) 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 I'm kidding, of course. Uh, We are back in the upper room discourse. Uh, What does that mean, anyway? Well, if you were with us last week, you remember that in John 14, Jesus begins a discussion with his disciples, and it stretches through the end of the 17th chapter. Jesus is almost done instructing the disciples, and then he's going to pray for them in the 17th, which has got to be one of the greatest chapters in the Bible, high priestly prayer, of Jesus. So, the setting is this. They are in a room called the Upper Room. They've made their way into Jerusalem through the Eastern Gate and they've come into this nondescript room, other than it's an upper room. We don't know anything else about it, where it was located, other than in the city of, of Jerusalem. And here they've come to celebrate the Passover meal. I think it's the last sanctioned by God Passover meal. Uh, I think from then on, it turns to what Jesus turns it into, which is the Lord's Supper. And so this is a very important experience. Plus, it's one of the last things that happens with Jesus and the disciples. And so that makes this moment a, a really important moment. Now, I have to be honest, the first time that, uh, well, when Chuck asked me to, to preach on this segment, the 16th chapter and these verses, uh, I read through them and thought, well, they're not much there. Uh, you know, all scripture is profitable for uh, teaching, reproof, correction, training, and righteousness. Uh, but some is, uh, seems to be more I don't know, more rich, perhaps, more directly instructive than others. And so this just did not appear to me to be one of those those passages. And yet, as I have read through it, I realize that Jesus is talking about one thing. And the one thing that he's talking about is something that we all, desperately need. All of us are going to come to to times in our lives when we desperately need this, but we need it all the time. And so that's the setting that we have. The disciples are in a a place of despair. Jesus has been telling them for uh, two years now that he's going to die, and he'll be resurrected. They have not wanted to listen to this. When he would say that, they would ignore it. They they just didn't want to accept it. But now they watch the circumstances around them. They see the mounting pressure uh, against Jesus. The forces against Jesus are are combining together toward him. And uh, so their world is falling apart. There's nothing they can do about it. Except watch it happen. But that's their setting now. I can't imagine what that would be like. Uh, the pain that they were going through. I mean, they had given up everything to follow Jesus. Uh, they had left homes. They had left their occupations. They had believed that he's the coming Messiah. I mean, they staked everything on him, and now he says, I'm going to die. And they thought he was going to establish a kingdom here on earth. And so. Uh, you know they—they they just overwhelmed. They're just overwhelmed. Well, as this passage begins, it's well past midnight on Friday morning. This would be Good Friday morning. In other words, from this upper room, Jesus will walk with his disciples out the eastern gate of Jerusalem, then down through the Kidron Valley and then up the side of the Mount of Olives to the Garden uh, of Gethsemane, uh, which was uh, really a grove of, of trees, of olive trees. And so there, Jesus would wrestle with his calling one last time, and finally say to the Father, nevertheless, not my will, yours be done. Then Jesus will leave the Garden of Gethsemane, and he'll be arrested. And at that time, the world falls apart for the disciples. He'll be arrested and he'll go through a number of trials, both through the Jews and the Romans. And he will be found guilty, guilty of a a religious crime, and then he will be sentenced to death. Uh, Under the Romans, he will be beaten, and humiliated, he will be taken to the Gethsemane, and there he will be—excuse uh, me—he'll be taken to Calvary, and it will be there that he's put on the cross, and it will be there that he will be su- that he will suffer, die, uh, at about noon on Friday. His body will then be taken down, will be taken to what we believe is uh, the area of of the garden tomb today. Many people believe the area of what's called the garden tomb and his body will be prepared for burial and he will be buried before sunset uh, in uh, the the Sabbath day. And so that's kind of what is going on here. And so put yourself in Jesus' seat for just a moment, all right? Uh, Just a moment, try to imagine what Jesus it's thinking. before him is the greatest agony of his life. Not only physical, uh, and physically, it, it would be a heinous death. But besides that, the, the pain, the weight of the world's sin, would be on him. I, I mean, he's facing the worst thing that could happen to a person. And yet... Rather than think about himself, he's thinking about them. We're going to learn, we're going to see a lot about the character of Jesus in these words. Again, verse 16. A little while, and you'll see me no longer. Again, a little while, and you will see me. Okay. That's his statement. Now, John takes this to an aside and says, so some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he is saying to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me again. And because I am going to the Father. What's this about? So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We don't know what he's talking about. All right? Now we go back to Jesus. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, and so he said to them, he's initiating, is what you're asking yourselves what I meant by saying A little while and you will not see me, in a little while you will see me. Uh, Again, this is laborious words for us. In a language, it's it's difficult wording, difficult reading. But if I could paraphrase it, it'd simply be, uh, Jesus is saying, in a little while I'm going to be gone. And then, a little while later, I will be back to you. And the disciples didn't understand what he meant when he says, I'm going to be gone, and then I'm going to come back. That's as simple as that. That's what he's saying. Now, Jesus, what's he doing here? He is preparing his disciples for the arrest, trial, crucifixion, and burial. That's what he's doing. He's preparing their hearts. Why? Because he cared about their emotions. Now, wrap yourself around that. You're a physical being. You're a spiritual being. You are an emotional being. And the greatest pain that we feel is emotional pain. And so Jesus cares about their feelings. And he cares about your feelings, remarkably enough. You may think he doesn't, but he does. And so he says in verse number 20, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. And that's exactly what would happen. You will be sorrowful, but this is what you remember, disciples. Your sorrow will be turned into joy, okay? As I've read that, read that, read that through in the last few weeks, I'm utterly amazed by what he's saying here. He is concerned for them. Now, remember, if you, would, if you put it in its chronology, Jesus is going to die at about noon. He will return Sunday morning. The Jews counted inclusively. We count exclusively. If they're counting, would be Friday, Saturday, Sunday, three days for us too. But that's why uh, the scripture says he was buried and rose on the third day. Now, that being true, uh, at noon he's going to die and by Sunday morning, he will be resurrected. So we're really talking about a short period of, of time here. And when he comes back, they'll not only see the affirmation of him being who he was, who who he said it was, but he will also bring then, after his ascension into heaven, he'll also send the Holy Spirit, God, to always be with them and in them. So. Uh, He's concerned about something that's only going to happen for a few hours. And, And that is amazing to think. If you're going through a painful time, if you're suffering emotionally with all the things that are happening in your life, please understand you're not in this alone. God, the Lord is concerned for you. Well, if we could go on, what is it that he wants for them? He wants joy. Please don't dismiss this. Don't take it lightly. He wants joy. And I am convinced that joy is supposed to be a primary characteristic of the Christian life. When people think of us. They ought to think joyful people, not critical people, not negative people, not morose people, but joyful people. When your family thinks of you, they should be thinking uh, of a uh, uh, of joyful person. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always, Paul writes. Again, I say rejoice. Uh, in the Psalm 66, verse number 1, Shout for joy to God, all the earth. In Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, joy. You see, the Holy Spirit in you would be producing joy if you allow him to do that. Over and over again in the Bible, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see joy. Paul writes for the people to have, Christians to have joy seven times while he's in prison. What is joy, anyway? Well, could I define it for you? Joy is a supernatural experience. It's not happiness. Happiness depends upon what's happening. It's circumstantial. Happiness is a wonderful thing. Nothing negative about it, but joy is a different thing. It is far deeper than circumstantial. It is an assurance that God is with you, that He understands what you feel and why you feel it. Joy is the confidence that because we serve a loving, sovereign God, ultimately, things will be good. Joy is the choice to praise God because he's with you, and you know ultimately he will bring about good. That's what joy is. But there's a problem here. At least there's a problem in my mind. Uh, back in the 80s, there was a song written by a fella, I think it was one hit wonder, a uh, guy called uh, Bobby McFerrin. And uh, if you want me, I'll, I'll, s- to, I'll sing it for you. Uh, no, I'm not, not going to do that. But let me read uh, just the first stanza. Here's a little song I wrote. You might want to sing it note for note. Don't worry, be happy. In every life, there is some trouble. When you worry, you make it double. Don't worry, be happy. Don't worry, be happy now. The first time I heard that, it made me mad. (laughs) Now, I've got to admit, you know, I'm not this. Gregarious, outgoing, happy guy. Uh, i kind of melancholy, kind of introvert, you know. And uh, so, uh, I don't come by that naturally. Plus, we were in a very difficult place in ministry, and uh, it was painful time. Uh, and I, I know. I was struggling, and uh, because I was struggling, my family was struggling, very difficult time, and I hear this song, Don't Worry, Be Happy, and I think, oh, well, great! Show me how to do that. Do I have a happy button? Point, you know, push it, please push it, because I want to be happy. I don't know how to create it. Uh, Where does it come from? And so, uh, that's the setting that we were in And I don't think there's any happy button or joyful button. So where does it come from? How can you have joy in the midst of the suffering that you do? Well, uh, let's again look at this moment two hours before the arrest. Verse 21, here's his illustration. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come, but when she has delivered the, the baby, she no longer remember the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice have joy and no one will take your joy from you." So his illustration is really pretty easy to see. Uh, the, The woman is struggling in childbirth, she is in pain in the labor. But when the baby comes and that baby is given to her, the joy that she has is overwhelming. Almost forgetting the pain that she just endured because God has given her this child. Now, uh, the same event that brought her joy first brought her pain. You see that? And that's the illustration that Jesus is making. His death would ultimately bring them joy. And Jesus is asking them to look through the pain and look to the joy that is going to come i mean he's saying understand that things won't get better than this i mean this is awesome when i am resurrected i will have victory over sin and death i'm going to the cross and at the cross i'll pay the ransom for your sin i'll pay the debt of your sin when I'm resurrected, that sin debt will have been paid, that means you will have forgiveness, you'll have eternal life, you're gonna have God with you all the time. In other words, while you're hurting, remember, remember that there's going to be much more to this story than what you see and what you feel. Verse 23, then, In that day, you will ask me nothing. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your, what? Your joy may be full. Come back to the the theme of joy. Up until this time, Jesus has answered every question that they have. I mean, if you go back and look through the the Gospels, you see, as they're walking along, they've got questions. As they're eating, they have questions. Place after place, time after time, they have questions of him. He's answering every question that they have. But after he ascends in heaven, uh, and after the Holy Spirit comes, They're not going to ask him for anything. Why is that? Because he's in heaven. Instead, from that point on, they and we can go to God the Father and pray in the name of Jesus. That means in accordance with who he is and in accordance to the will, his will for our lives. Just as Jesus prayed, nevertheless, not my will, but yours. As we pray for the will of God to happen, we can have the assurance that God will ultimately give us what is best for us and what we need. All right. I'm going to ask you to to look at one more passage of Scripture with me. I don't think we'll have notes for that, but... Uh, I don't know. Yesterday afternoon, I just, I just felt like it had to be shared this morning. Second Corinthians, chapter number one, and verse number three. 2 Corinthians one three it says this: "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ." See how God is. Described here, the God of mercies, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. This can either mean, of all comfort we ever have, it's ultimately come from God, or God offers us comfort in all kinds of circumstances that we're in. Uh, who comforts us in in all of our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. God brings comfort into our lives, peace into our lives, joy into our lives for us for our emotions for our sake but also to share with others all right for as we share abundantly in christ's suffering so through christ we share abundantly in comfort too all right if you would now go down to verse number eight god is a god of all comfort he comforts us in all circumstances or offers to and enables us to have the ministry of comforting. Now verse number 8. For we do not want you, the we here is a polite form in the Greek of, of a personal reference, okay? So he's saying, for I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction I experienced in Asia, for I was literally utterly burdened beyond my strength, that I despaired of life itself. Indeed, I felt that I had received the sentence of death. But that was, what was the purpose of this pain? That was to make me rely not on myself, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered me from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. You also must help us, help me, by, uh, help me uh, through prayer, so that many will Come and give thanks uh, on our behalf for the blessing of God, has granted us, the, uh, God has granted us through the, the prayers of many. Uh, I'm stumbling around there a little bit, sorry. I hope you see the point. The point is this. The Apostle Paul, now this is the guy who wrote 13 New Testament books. This is the greatest missionary the church ever had. This is the one that had actually been taken to heaven and told unspeakable things that he wasn't able to say. Uh, This is that guy, the Apostle Paul. And he says, I have come to the place in my life when I wanted to die. He literally says, I didn't want to live anymore. I was wanting to die. Isn't that amazing? Somebody like him well, feels like something like this. And yet, he said, that God had brought comfort into his life. Not only that, he goes on to say the purpose of his suffering, and the purpose of his suffering, you'll note again, is so that uh, he, it would make him rely not on himself but God. That's the great purpose of suffering, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God. So this remarkable statement, I've come to the place where I'm ready to die. I'm wanting to die. I don't want to live in this way anymore. And God changed that. And by the way, he changed it because you're praying for me. And what I do is going to be greatly affected because you pray for me. All right. How do we walk away from this? Uh, In other words, so what? What does this passage mean to us? I'd like to offer you, if I could, six different statements that I think it says to us important statements that will bless us and help us as we go forward. The first one is this. You may be ready to give up. If you're not there, you will be. It's part of life. Understand this, that Paul was a good Christian even though he was ready to give up on life, even though he was overwhelmed. If you are at that point and you think, I'm a terrible Christian because I feel this way, understand you are not. You are not. In fact, you may be approaching the greatest spiritual time in your life. Number two, get a grip. And by that I mean look objectively at what is going on in your life. I suggest even writing it down so you don't have any, all these thoughts and words coming around in your life and you're thinking about it, thinking about it, thinking about it. Instead, write it down so you have it before you. That's going to be helpful to you later. Write it down. Put it in words. and. Number three, remember that you are not alone in this. You may say, God's not with me. God's not answering prayer. Uh, I I don't sense God in any way in my life. God never promised to you to give you an emotion. He promised to be with you always, even to the end of the age. He's there. He is there with you, and he cares for you. And then, number four, uh, take an action of faith. Make the choice to trust him with this impossible circumstance that you're in. With the disappointment that you feel. Choose to believe that even in this, God will see you through. And five, pray. Ask the Father for his will to be done. Ask the Father to comfort you. And then finally, share this with others. Be selective. Share it with Christian brothers and sisters. Paul evidently did. And pray for one another. Because the prayers of a righteous person have great power. If you're hurting, if you're in pain, please understand there's hope. If you have never received Christ, as your Savior, understand this is a promise for those who believe. Nevertheless, God may be at work in your life even now, convincing you that you've sinned and rebelled against him and calling you to put your faith and trust in Jesus. I encourage you to do that. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I know that there are those who are hurting here today. I pray, Father, for them. I pray, Father, that they won't give up. But in this, you will turn their hearts and minds to you in faith and allow them to see the rescue of their father. However it comes, Lord, and I pray through this, we might become great comforters of others. In Jesus' name we pray.